right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your truthiest life Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. It's your host, Lisa Haim. This week's episode is really what The Truthiest Life is about. It's about going there, talking about feelings that make you feel shameful, and really going through a human experience that at some point a lot of us will experience. I am going to give you a little high level about what it's about so that you can decide if this is maybe a now or later listen for you, because I think that it might bring up feelings that you're going to want to have a little space to work through. So this episode is with my friend, Julia, who I met through Instagram. She's a therapist. She is just an amazing person who had a really complicated relationship with her mom, similar to me, love you mom, but you know, it is complicated. And unlike me, she also at the same time had to become her mother's caretaker when her mother got sick with cancer. This only, you know, really changed and modified who Julia is and was as a teenager. And in her 20s, she then lost her mom. And I think that losing a parent early prematurely than we expect to, it really can bring up a lot of different feelings. And I think what's really amazing about this episode is Julia shares what it's like to have that complicated relationship with your parent and then at the same time have to grieve them. And I think there's so much that happened between the span of her mom getting sick to passing away that can really help us figure out a little bit better about how to make peace with the relationships that we have. And I say relationship that way because a lot of us cut out our parents or maybe our parents don't talk to us, whatever it is, in the name of self-preservation, a word that Julia uses a few times that I really love. But I think 
there are relationships that exist even if we have decided not to engage with them. But when it is a parent, oftentimes it won't be as cut and dry as I don't want this person in my life. Uh, You know, you're pulled back for many reasons. And I think a lot of times when somebody does get sick and they need your help, that barrier that you've built around to protect yourself comes down naturally. And when that comes down, I think there's really an opportunity not to, you know, say, okay, everything's going to be amazing now that we're talking things out and we're, we're going there with each other, but to say there's a chance to make peace with a relationship that isn't so perfect. And maybe a level of acceptance of who the other person is that you maybe weren't able to make peace with before. Like we said at the end of this episode, you know, Julia lost her parent in her 20s. But if life goes according to the timeline in which it should, all of us will have to face the loss of a parent at some point. And many of us struggle with 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 really that in general. But those of us that have a complicated relationship with the parent, do we let our minds go there realizing that all we have is a limited amount of time. Like I said, this, this episode is deep and, you know, I want you to be emotionally willing to listen to it when you're available. So if now is not that time, maybe put it in the docket for a later time, but Julia just shows up so bravely. And I think just puts a name to emotions that a lot of us suffocate because it makes us feel badly or, or shameful. Her story is amazing. Julia is also how I met Christine Carlson, who was on the podcast in February of 2020, I believe. And Christine, Christine's episode was one of my favorite. Her book is one of my favorite from Heartbreak to Wholeness because, again, I think that people's stories are so complex and after loss can also come wholeness. And both of these women are kind of an invitation to me to see that really hard parts of your life, it's not the end. It's just a little stopping point to reflect, to continue to become the whole version of you. And Julia also wanted me to mention, if you did listen to Christine's episode, that Christine also has a Lifetime movie out now. I'm going to put that in the show notes called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, the Christine Carlson story. That book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, which was written by Christine's late husband is one of my all-time favorite books. So I'm definitely going to be tuning into that movie. So that information is below. I hope that you're able to listen to this episode from a place of kindness and non-judgmentalness. And if things and emotions come up, I hope you're able to sit with them and sift through them a little bit. And if you don't relate to Julia's story, hey, just realize that it's Julia's story. I hope you all have a great day. Let's meet Julia. Welcome to the truthiest life, Miss, or should I say Mrs. Julia, recently married. Congrats. So excited to have you. Thank you. We are three months in and so far so good. Oh, wow. Three months. You and Soli, my baby, are the same. I guess it was the same week. Yeah. Your wedding date was her due date, right? August 28th. Yes, but she didn't come that day. But we are right now. I'll always remember how long you've been married for. (laughs) Well, good. I'm glad to always know how old she is. So Julia is, I think we met through Instagram, right? You were following me, came to an event right before the pandemic shut. We met in person. I remember your energy in the audience because I was a speaker with Kelsey Patel and you were in the audience and I was like, who is that woman? Like her energy is just soaring. I don't read auras, but if I could like read your aura, it was bright, it was shiny, it was inviting, it was so full of love. Like you're just such a high vibrating person and the type that you want to be around, not the type that's like annoying, you know? 
Thank you. I take that really as a kind, kind compliment. And I remember that night being so happy to finally meet you and Kelsey. But I think I also asked like a very bold question that everyone looked around and was like shook by. And I think it had to do with me being a therapist and just like humanizing that experience, which I think is usually scary for others. Do you remember your question? I don't exactly, but something that humanized the therapist experience, like what if you don't actually like your client? Mm, ooh, that is so actually let's just start there. As you can see, Julia is a very interesting person. She's a therapist. Um, as soon as we met in person, we had talked for a long time before that. We had a shared love of Hamilton, I believe. But as soon as I saw your face, you know, because a DM is an intimate connection, but meeting someone in person just brings it to life. You know, I felt very connected to you immediately and you're a therapist and, you know, you've got all that warmth about you. So first of all, what, as a therapist, let's just start there. What do you do if you don't like your client? Oh gosh, I've been really lucky that I like the majority of my clients. I was working with men who were formerly or currently incarcerated. And I just saw parts of all of them that I wanted to get to know more and uplift and help heal endless trauma. But I would imagine if I was like in private practice in New York City, which is a route I decided not to take, there would be some challenging clients. And what you need to do is recognize the parts of yourself that are having a reaction, talk to those parts and ask them to step back. Um, And sometimes I would have clients who like to, you know, poke at me, like mentioning over and over again, how short I was and how can I function in the world? And (laughs) I, part of me thought that was funny. I mean, it's something I can't change, but just noticing the part that would get like a little fired up and just saying, you know what, this isn't about me. This is probably them trying to connect or feel better about themselves. Oftentimes they would be short and asking that part to just step aside. So Mm. when you're a therapist and when you're in the room, you need to be in tune with your own system. Obviously, you need to have a good relationship with your therapist. But a family member of mine has been going to the same therapist for over a year. Um, Actually, a psychiatrist that also does the therapy portion. Mm -hmm. And this therapist really saved the family member's life, really came in at a critical time. And you'd think that my family member would, you know, just love this person because they really saved his life. But there's always this like, how's it going with Dr. Da da da? And he'll be like, I just can't something like he'll just say something kind of not so whatever about him. And it always just shocks me. But I think what you're saying is that sometimes even from the other standpoint, because we'll have people listening that are like, my therapist annoys me when she says this. My therapist really pisses me off sometimes. Yep. Is it possible that the therapist is trying to emit a less than positive emotion within you? Meaning, we talk about therapy, it feels so good, you'll release, you'll cry. But is it possible that that as the patient, you could have some negative feelings in the session that get displaced onto the therapist as a way of like not doing the work? Totally. And in some dynamics, therapists are trying to mirror the person you have a challenging relationship with. So Mm. this is very relevant to our topic today. But let's say I was working with a woman therapist, which, by the way, I believe therapists should always be in therapy. And so I've always been in therapy consistently, basically, since I was eight years old. Um, I think I've taken one and a half years off all combined. 
And the therapist sometimes wants to have that um, role play with you. And so if they're taking the role kind of as your mother and you have a challenging relationship with your mother, you might have some parts and some feelings of yourselves that are like, no, no, no. Like, I'm frustrated with you. I don't like you because you're mirroring my mom. And that's why I'm in therapy, because I have a complicated relationship with my mom. Mm, And I I also I use the word parts because I'm trained in what's called internal family system, which, by the way, Lisa, you would love. And set me up with somebody. I'm ready to go. I will. Yeah, it's an intensive training. It takes a year. But it basically says that, like, we're all made up of parts, you know, and at the core of all of it, is ourself. And when we're self-led is when we're at our best, but parts get in the way, like anger, like sadness, like grief, like happiness, like love trauma. and trauma. There's a lot of trauma parts. Yep. Well, I am definitely seeking uh, a new forms of therapy and therapists in my life because I am dealing with some trauma and there are parts of me that are interfering with who I want to be and who I am. So Julia has given me amazing references for, I have a friend whose uh, father passed away very unexpectedly. I went to Julia as a resource. Julia wants to stay anonymous for this episode, so we will not be sharing her information, but anytime that you may need some sort of therapy resource, I can always tap into Julia and provide that to the greater audience. But today's episode is going to be about Julia's life and having a complicated relationship with parents in general, but also the complicated one that she had with her mom, who she also then had to grieve the loss of. So that's another layer of complication that I don't think a lot of us really think about when we are struggling with our parents. I think it's very easy, especially in the social media age of things where we're empowering people to have boundaries to not clearly define what a boundary is and just say, your mom is toxic, cut them out. Your dad is toxic, cut them out, whatever it is. And these these relationships are really complex. Um, and anyway, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on as a guest to really understand how you came to be that bright beaming light in the audience, despite going through some really turbulent times with a not so happy ending. Absolutely. And I think I met you, it was about three months after my mom died. So, you know, I really want to start this by saying that I think some people will have judgmental parts during this podcast because not everyone has a challenging relationship with their mom. And I would just ask those people to listen anyway, because it might not be a relatable experience to you right now, but maybe you and your future child will have a challenging relationship, or maybe your sister or brother, or maybe you have a friend who just never really connected with their mom or their parent. And please just stay open-minded because this is a challenging topic and of course challenging for me, but really important. And Lisa, I didn't even tell you, but I have been actually very much wanting to have this conversation with you. And when you emailed me this week, I felt ready. And I feel so self-led right now and present. And I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for being here. I remember when I came up with The Truthiest Life and you and I were DMing and I said to you probably a year ago, I know exactly where I was sitting in my house saying, I want to have you as a guest one day. And not really knowing where you'd really stand on wanting to talk about something so personal. And then I think, like you said, like the timing has just kind of felt right to reapproach the conversation. And thank you for being so present and open to it. So 
it looks like you might want to actually know where you want to start. So I'll let you take that. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't get distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. When I was thinking about how to say this, I thought of like a really good phrase, which was grief and relief and how that's duality, right? The duality of grief and relief. And starting, you know, when I was young, I just had a challenging relationship with my mom. I would have tantrums when I was seven, only directed towards her. I would tell her that I hated her. I would look at other moms and feel extremely deep envy of them. My mom was a really frugal person and my friends would get like for a special sleepover, new pajamas. I would never get that. And as a kid, you just (laughs) care about material items. And it started growing this resentment that maybe my friend's mom would buy me new pajamas. My mom wouldn't. My friend's mom would want to know the gossip that was happening in school. My mom just didn't really care about that. And it kind of blossomed into a very resentful relationship where she loved me so much. And of course I loved her, but there was so much in the way where we just didn't know how to communicate with each other. And that was early, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, you know, before the typical teenage pushing your parents away phase. And so I think there wasn't many people my mom could relate to because I was, you know, in elementary school. Got it. So your parents are together at this time when the uh, yeah. tension with your mom is starting to build. And are you gravitating towards your dad as a result of needing to a parental figure and not wanting her to be it? I gravitated towards him, but he was working a lot 
And so I remember moments him picking it from school, best day ever, him coming to my soccer game, best day ever. But he was he was traveling a ton for work and really busy. And so what I did, Lisa, and I think you're like this too, is I built a village. You know, I had my friend's parents who still to this day are like parents to me. My rabbi who just officiated my wedding. I've known him since I was born. He's coming over next week to catch up. I mean, I knew that I wasn't getting what I needed from my mom, unfortunately. And so I found my people. I found mm. the tutor, you know, who, and you have a good relationship with your previous tutor. I mm. found the tutors who I still am in touch with, who uplifted me and, and helped school make more sense. I just found those people. And it was always clear that I could connect with people deeply, but it was just not her. I'm going to add this not to steal from your story, but I'm going to share my slightly different experience just for anybody that might relate to what I'm going to say, which is having a challenging relationship with parents, steps involved for me, and as a result, becoming very self-sufficient, not leaning on the village. I mean, I think that there was a little bit of bad luck, for lack of a better word, where uh, the adults around me, they didn't feel safe for me, not in a physical way, but like I could tell that they were judgmental about many aspects of my life that just simply were. And so I grew up, which is something that I've had to resolve as an adult now, not trusting adults, like parents of friends, like not that there was a lot of gravity to that. But I remember like with Evan's parents, like in the beginning, I had to really move away this idea that adults could just be good, trusting humans that want to be helpful to you and thinking that everybody kind of has this badness to them. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but I didn't really build my village and start to realize how important leaning on people was is until I was older. But how amazing for you that you created this village that you then carried with you into into now that really does kind of explain you. So at this stage, were your parents starting to fight about you? Do you have any memories like that? I don't think they were fighting specifically about me, but I remember when my bat mitzvah was approaching, my mom didn't want me to have to go through learning Hebrew because I struggled with learning new languages, Spanish, Hebrew, math. And my dad said, she can do it. Let's give her this opportunity. And I think that's a perfect example of, you know, that duality of, of one parent saying, I want to protect her because my mom really did want to protect me. And my dad believing in me in a whole nother level. And, mm. you know, if you look at the bot mitzvah pictures, body language is clearly like, we're about to get divorced. And then um, about 10 months later, they got divorced. <laughs> so it is amazing how you can look through pictures. I don't know if you have this with your parents and just see the change. Well, mine was much younger, but my bat mitzvah is often a reference for a time where my complicated relationship with my mom took a very public head. Uh, she gave a speech at my bat mitzvah, which my mom is very known to be verbose and not concise. And I'm 14. I'm really, you know, I care what people think, you know, and she's just going through pages of eight print font pages and they just keep turning and turning and I just start crying and my dad is sitting with me and like that, that duality of like my mom not reading the room or me, my dad sitting there next to me and, and Evan always brings it up like, cause my dad has told this story so much to the point where he, it's like Evan was in the room that, that day. Uh, but it's funny that, that you mentioned that because there are pictures as well that, feels so obvious to like what's really going on, the tensions in the room and, and yet 
it's just a funny thing. So 10 months later, they get divorced. Your parents. Of course, but Lisa, that is an epic story. And we've all been to weddings where similar things go on. And it's, it's, it's entertaining. Yeah. So we didn't let my mom speak at my wedding. She did speak at my rehearsal dinner where we let her, she gave a great speech, but we, we just didn't want her to go on for an hour. And if mom, if you're listening to this, we know you're not capable of not doing that. So um, <laughs> out of love, we just put her in a place where she could express herself. <laughs> without, Perfect you know, boundary setting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I did my bat mitzvah. I was really good at it. 10 months later, they get divorced. And then about six months later, my mom gets diagnosed with breast cancer. And immediately there was, you know, this emphasis on I might not survive. And I think I had just turned 15 at this point or 14. And, you know, that's shocking because none of my friend's parents had died yet. Um, and I emphasize the yet. And I did not know how to interpret it for the first time. Instead of being forced to go to therapy, I chose to go to therapy. And that started me having a more healthy and positive relationship with therapy when I felt like I was in control. I had my first serious boyfriend at the time. His family was really supportive, but it was uncharted territory for so many reasons. My dad moved into a different house nearby. Him and my mom were on rocky terms. He wanted to do everything he could to be supportive. So he would just drop off meals all the time. My mom would accept them because she had to, but I think there was still some underlying resentment. And then eventually they made peace and my mom really took my dad's help. And she was in treatment for two years and had a double mastectomy and reconstruction surgery, a lot of chemo, a lot of radiation, basically everything at the time that was offered. And for some miracle, she went into remission. And that was one of the most challenging times of my life because I was so young and because I was in the house with just her. My sister was off in college across the country, but also it was the first time where I looked inward. And Lisa, that's a young age to start looking inward, but I did. I do want to pick up on that. But when you said my sister was across the country, you said it like with a different tone, not to be your therapist here, but is there some meaning behind that or emotion that that stirred for you? Like, I would, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. I have always been really close with her. And so I have always also been the one who has to deal with the family stuff a little more because I'm more of an empath and she's more of an intellectual. She's an academic and we just use different parts of our brains. And so she could call once a week, check in. Um, but she was like early on in college and loving it and working really hard. And she got to avoid, you know, my mom's nausea, my mom not actually being able to pick me up from a friend's house when she thought she was going to be able to. And also, you know, me taking advantage of this and sleeping at my boyfriend's house, you know, when I wasn't supposed to, and also getting the things that I needed at the time where my mom was, you know, really sick. So you are doing all these outward steps of rebellion, you know, getting away with what you can, but at the same time, you're starting to look inward. What tools were available to you as a 14 year old before social media, you know, was talking about these types of things so accessibly? What were the tools that that were available to you? And what did you find on that journey? So it's kind of funny and my family still laughs at me. For whatever reason, I demanded having a personal trainer. And I just wanted to learn like how to use the fitness equipment. And I think at our gym, like you could get a certain amount free. 
And this personal trainer like taught me kind of how to take care of my body and food in a really healthy way. Like she just taught Mm. me about whole grains. She taught me about, you know, how to feel full and how to feel good and what to eat before a workout and how to work out. And it was another person who was like in my village, Mm -hmm. but it also really helped me because moving my body was moving the trauma around. And um, I've been really lucky. I've, I've never had a challenging relationship with fitness or food. It really just educated me. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was I started reading books and I kept a gratitude journal and I read just self-help books. Um, One of which was don't sweat the small stuff because I became best friends with Richard Carlson's daughter, Jasmine and reading his books really helped me like just go through the initial stages of grief of knowing I might lose my mom, you know, but how can I take care of me too? Wow. At age 14. Yeah, 14 and then into 15. Christine Carlson's episode was, I think, February of 2021. I met Christine through Julia, maybe obviously. Um, And it's one of my favorite episodes to date just because it's so candid and full of grief, but also heartbreak, but also wholesomeness. And she really takes us, us through the journey. So to have her and her daughter in your corner going through this or who, what happened first that you lost your mom and then later on? No, no. Then suddenly Chris lost her husband, Jasmine lost her dad. And so that's the next part of the story is like, I had actually back to back a year after um, another friend who was very close, lost her father. Suddenly Jasmine lost her father suddenly. And that was part of my whole waking up and realizing, you know, one, first of all, life is really short. You never know. And two, I wanted to wake up even more so that I could live. And a lot of that was, you know, learned by watching the Carlsons. A lot of that was my own inner work, you know, with my therapy and, you know, and you're like this too, like you're also just born an empath. You're born someone who wants to do the work and it's not easy you know, but maybe you're a little more predisposed. I was a little more predisposed to that work because no one in my family was doing it. I mean, this was, people were making fun of me for the books I was reading, but it was how I, it was my self-preservation. And that really got me through. I love that word, self-preservation. Did your mom getting sick soften you to be less upset with her because of who she was? really good question. I don't think fully because she was still herself in many ways. So (laughs) I remember I wanted to, for many years, go study abroad my junior year now, because she was sick for a while, my junior year of high school. And a year earlier, we were going through the application process. And she looked at me and she said, well, I might be dead. So I don't think you should go study abroad in high school. (laughs) And that guilt, you know, still to this day, I had a lot of friends who went and did that. And I was devastated not to be able to go. And Facebook was big on the time. And I remember all the time seeing pictures of my friends, you know, exploring and not being there. Did she need you as the caretaker? I was the caretaker. She had a boyfriend at the time. I also set a lot of boundaries. I remember every day at sunset, I'd go walk around the neighborhood. I grew up in Northern California where there's like stunning views of San Francisco. And I would just say, mom, I know you need me to change your sheets or to help you heat up the soup, but I'm going to go on a sunset walk. 
first. Mm -hmm. And once again, self-preservation. So I think I learned boundaries early in that regard, but it was really painful and the guilt trips never ended. But then miraculously, she was in remission and, and she was in remission for 10 years. And that was an interesting time because we had gone through this trauma together. I think I still had resentment that I hadn't worked through, but how lucky that you know, I still had my mom. And I think there was a little survivor's guilt with my two really close friends and then ended up being a third friend who lost their parents. And there's definitely survivor's guilt at that time. Let's talk out what is survivor's guilt. I mean, I I think I kind of understand, but. So in this case, it's like, I still have my mom and they don't. And Mm. so I survived that experience. They didn't. But survivor's guilt can be so different. It could be, you know, God forbid you're in a car accident and one person is injured or ends up dying and you're you're surviving when someone who had the same experience as you mm. didn't. And it can be really painful and complicated. And, you know, it could even be something that's very basic, like someone else getting an opportunity that you didn't and, and feeling that kind of dynamic, you know, all the way up to something more serious or tragic. Mm, that's a lot to to work through, especially when you are the survivor, you get to keep going with your mom. And even it's just it's a lot to unpack, to say the least. It so is. when when she got better during this time, how did your relationship change then? I think that I was really hopeful that it was going to change everything. People said to me, it's going to change your mom. But my mom, she was smart, sassy, extremely world-traveled, and so stubborn. I never heard her apologize to anyone ever. And I say that smiling because uh, my husband loves to say that I have some parts of her in me. And I always say, I hope it's not that one Um, (laughs) because, you know, it didn't change her. I mean, I think in an internal world, maybe it did, but the external world that we shared, we did not get any closer. We just kind of coexisted and, and continued the challenging dynamic. And she would often say, your teacher's favorite, you're your friend's parents' favorite. You're so nice to everyone. And you're so mean to me. It's literally my mom. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there's truth to that. I think there's truth to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I was I was definitely more awake and I was so awake at one point that I actually wasn't because I wouldn't let myself feel the negative emotions. I remember one New Year's Eve, my friend sat me down and I will never forget this because they were brave as teenagers to do this. And they said, Julia, you're too positive. There are sometimes going to be things that we want to complain and vent and bitch about. And you just shutting it down, saying something positive isn't helpful to us. Mm. And I was like, okay, I think I have to cool it on the self-help books. <laughs> yeah. What, what is that like to, to hear that? And that this was before you were a therapist, right? Yeah, before when I was in high school, probably towards the end, I actually took it really well. I was shocked, but I said, thank you. And I took it seriously. And I remember that really actually changing my life. Thank you to my best friends. They're still my best friends because as a therapist, as a human, as a friend, as a partner, you can't just jump into the positive. You have to also leave room for the pain, for the grief, for the negative, right? I mean, you do that so well in your presence, Lisa, you name the challenging parts of things, the challenging parts of all of it. And so that definitely 
reminded me that, yeah, okay, my mom was better now. And I had done all the self work, but there was still grief there. There was still pain. There was still resentment. There was still a studying abroad opportunity that I missed. And I could feel that and I could talk about that. I think, yeah, sometimes we think that we need to be outwardly positive to, you know, be that shining light in the room. But by doing that, it sounds like your friends were annoyed because you weren't Maybe they didn't have the words for it, holding space for them when they just needed to let it out. And as a result, you were not letting yourself let it out because you had glossed over and made yourself so shiny on the outside that you weren't, and you had this hard outer positive shell, then there was still stuff within that you had more kicking and screaming to do. Totally. And then I remember I went to college 3,000 miles away across the country, and my parents were very supportive of that. My sister had done that as well. And I became friends with this great group of girls that spoke to their moms like two to seven times a day, like just got out of class. It went well, got an A. Uh, well, what should I wear tonight? When are you going to pick me up on Friday to go home? I mean, it was like a nonstop parade of my friends being really, I would say, enmeshed and or close with their mothers. And then mm. I looked at it all again and I was like, would I want that? No. My mom raised me and prided herself on her kids being independent. My mom, when she died, we calculated, went to 107 countries. My mom graduated high school over a year early and traveled the world by herself with no money and figured it out and eventually showed up on her parents' doorstep because she took a Russian freight boat home. So my mom had this like epic early life. And I think it did have some trauma that I want to mention. But when she became an adult, she raised us in the city that she was raised in and a similar neighborhood that she was raised in, although very different because she grew up on food stamps and in poverty. And she just wanted to be home and with us and to be a good mom. But in her early years, she was adventurous. She was super smart. She had international experiences that the majority of parents wouldn't even have thought about supporting their kids to go to. And so my mom was always like, go travel. And I remember like my, I think it was my freshman year of college. I had six weeks off. And for those who are in college, you never get that again. So enjoy it. And I went to Bangkok and I visited my friend who's Thai, who lives in Bangkok and stayed with her for a week during my freshman year of college, you know, winter break. And everyone looked at me like they wouldn't even go to their nearest city by themselves at that point. And so I, I do really appreciate my mom's sense of adventure and supporting us being independent and also trusting the world. She cared about politics and she cared a lot about, about giving back and appreciated what was given to her since she didn't grow up with much. And that I think is the best qualities that I inherited from her is a sense of the world and a sense of being a giver and being generous and giving with your time, most importantly. When you do understand where these traits come from, the the frugality, that, that she's kind of frugal with money and she didn't, you know, want to gossip and hear about that, like she was kind of worldly, not involved with the little stuff day to day, like 
you know, she didn't care about material things. Like now that you're an adult and some of those things are less exciting to you or less meaningful, do you appreciate some of those aspects of her that you hated so much? Yeah, that's a great question, Lisa. Very much so. And my husband and I always talk about like, how are we going to approach with our kids? The dynamic of him who got whatever he wanted, me, I had to like save up money to get what I wanted. And not because of lack of resources, but because my mom truly believed you didn't need a lot. And so what is this going to look like? And someday when we have kids, it's going to be really interesting. And I think healing for both of us to figure out. But for me, now that, you know, I'm self-sufficient and can get these things, I don't want a lot either, you know, and I really appreciate the lack of emphasis on materials that my mom shared. A little bit about her background and her family history is that when I went to college, I was a sociology major and a psychology minor, and I learned about vicarious trauma, especially with uh, children of Holocaust survivors. And my grandmother, who will always be my favorite, favorite person, and I grew up five minutes from her, she survived the Holocaust in Hungary. And so the trauma that she brought into mothering was that she really wasn't a mother to my mom. She had my mom fend for herself because she was trying to survive on food stamps with the trauma in a new country, divorced. And so when I went to college, I did have more empathy and sympathy for my mom's experience in her wanting to be such a good mother to make up for the mother that she had that wasn't how she wanted. But I also couldn't understand why she couldn't adapt even better. Even though your mother wasn't in the Holocaust, she took on some of the trauma from your grandma's experiences. Yeah. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. But you were very close with her mother. That's the grandmother that we're talking about? Yeah. She 
uh, was a huge supporter of her grandchildren and less so of her children. And so she was me and my sister and my cousin's biggest fan and spoke about the Holocaust and was open and, and I think did her own healing. But it seems like there's kind of two different versions of how people were. There was the people who were very much like, I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to trust that we survived for a reason. And then there are people who were like, I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to heal and be positive. But then there's a whole nother level of people who just shut down and didn't want to talk about it. So I would say like there's three different groups. My grandma was like, I don't really want to talk about it that much, but I will. I just want to be positive. And she was the most positive person I've ever met until the day she died. Okay. So your mom gets sick again after remission. So how old are you when she gets sick again? So I was 25. I was just starting to date my now husband. She called us and she said, I have cancer again and it's everywhere. I once again looked inward and was in this new serious relationship and then looked outward and said, pretty amazing. Somehow my friends still haven't dealt with the family drama or a a sick parent. And here I am falling in love and also having this energy back in my life. And this, and this sad thing that it's different this time because the cancer is all in her body. It's terminal, but also you're no longer living in the house with her. So it's, it's not like I go back to caretaker mode Yeah, and caretaking would, would be different. So, okay. You, that's just so much. Um, it's so much. And I was working at a nonprofit where I had the most amazing colleagues and boss who said, whenever you need time, don't worry about your allotted vacation days, take the time you need. And so what I did was I called my rabbi And I called one of my best friends, moms, and both of them gave me the same advice. Make peace is what they both told me, however it looks like for you. Because when you think down the line in two years, and she probably won't be here, you live the rest of your life without her and without being able to make any verbal or emotional peace with her being present. So whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, therapy together hard conversations, trips together, cooking her favorite meals, or her teaching you how to cook her favorite dishes, do it now. And that was her to hear. I mean, that was her to hear. Remember, I was 25 living in New York, you know, going out every weekend, super social, falling in love with my now husband. And I also was told by people who I trusted more than anyone in the world, that it was time to make peace with the most challenging relationship of my life. And also they said to me, do not feel bad about also feeling some relief when she's gone. Mm. So what did you do with the time that they said that you had? I had over a year, I think could have been two, but I, I visited her a lot. We went on some trips. I kind of let her lead when we were at home doing things that she wanted. I shared more about my work, which she was really proud and supportive of. She loved my now husband and loved getting to know him. She taught him how to make chopped liver. (laughs) And one of the most special things that happened was the school I went to for many, many years invited me to be their young alumni of the year. And I got to go and talk about my work with the organization I had been working with. And my whole family came and they sat in the front row and my grandma was alive and my dad and my mom and dad were 
getting along so well. And they saw me speak to the whole high school about my work. And I was poised and I crushed it. And it was so, so kind of them to invite me. And then three months later, her really serious decline started. And I will never forget how beautiful that opportunity was. First of all, because she got to see me in a role that she never got to see me in. Secondly, because there are professional pictures and she looked great. It was before her decline and we looked so happy and thrilled. And my now husband was there um, and my whole family. But it also made me realize like, okay, I think I'm starting to make peace. Like sharing these shared experiences, having her be proud, having me be proud, her seeing me in this way and me seeing her as a proud parent, which she always was, I'm starting to make peace. And uh, five months later, she died. So in between that, April and August, when she died, we actually had a close friend of mine come and record her life story. My sister and I sat on both of her sides and interviewed her and I haven't watched it and someday I know I will, but Mm -hmm. I highly recommend that for people to do with their parents, even if they're not sick. I love that advice. And even, even just the presence of listening, you know, listening not to listen later is also like really powerful and, and healing. I would think because it's, it's to really appreciate I'm here now and also have the opportunity to listen to it whenever you want. But I totally understand you also not wanting to visit that right now, but also great that it's available to you. And I will suggest for you to make some digital copies of whatever you have it on and putting it in a few different places so yes. that, you know, it's, it's stored somewhere that you can, you can get to it. And so you did a lot of resolution during this time and a lot of duality of having this romantic, exciting relationship blossoming a few years in also grieving, mourning, prematurely, I'm sure, you know, to, to, to know that it's coming involves some pre-morning and balancing those emotions. It's probably great that you're, you got that advice from your high school friends to not just be so positive because then I don't think you would have been able to show up as your raw self romantically and your raw self as a daughter. Absolutely. And at this time, so much is happening, but you're also still wanting to live as you were saying, like, being, you know, in your late 20s and enjoying the experiences. And so it was at times conflicted. You know, I didn't understand why I didn't like drinking as much as I used to. I really barely have drank since she died. I mean, it's just not interesting to me anymore. I like to get more sleep because I was processing a lot. And, And my, you know, recommendation to listeners is, of course, take those family photos, make peace but also let yourself live normally because you don't want to resent um, not having your normal experiences, you know, when they're gone and when all of a sudden, you know, you can't have them anymore. And we were all together as a family a couple months after I won that award. We took a lot of family photos. My sister had a one-year-old, which was so special for my mom to get to experience being a grandma for a year, her last year of her life. And I went on a family trip with my dad. And of course, on this wonderful family trip, my mom calls and she said, you know, it's in the liver now. And so really, you know, my liver could fail at any time. And I remember I went to LA afterwards. And I realized I'm an hour from my mom. I'm just going to fly home. 
and see her one last time, even for a few hours before I go back to the East Coast. And I did most of my crying when I was on the plane and Ubering, when I made this kind of drastic decision to change my flight, to not go back to work the next day, but to see my mom one last time. And I remember hugging her and we didn't hug a lot in our relationship, but I walked in the door and she was kind of bent over and she was starting to look weak. And I hugged her so tightly. And even though that wasn't the typical way we expressed our love, because we did love each other so much, it was something very, very memorable. And I went back to the East Coast. She called about a month later and she says, I'm really deteriorating. I'd like you to come home and take care of me. And she called me. She didn't call my sister for the final push of please come home and take care of me. My sister had a one-year-old. She was also pregnant. And as always in the family, you know, when you're a natural kind of supporter, that was the role I took. So I flew home. My sister followed a couple of days later and we put my mom on hospice. She decided to stop treatment and supported her through the last stage of her life. And then she died August, 2019 with all of us in the house, with her grandson, with her unborn granddaughter, my brother-in-law, my sister, my future husband, um, and her partner at the time, all living in the house for the last month of her life and all being there early one morning when she died. Yeah, you know, you said that some advice you got is don't be surprised if you feel some relief when she does die before she died. I mean, I think that a lot of people who are maybe in very different situations than you might feel that way because there's so much caretaking involved when a loved one is sick and there's so much worry and there's so much planning and organizing and it's an all-encompassing job, you know, similar to having a baby where it kind of eats you up whole, where, you know, you lose your individuality, maybe I would I would imagine. Absolutely. I mean, I remember trying, we would take shifts and my cousin was there too. And I would just want to go on a walk. And most days I couldn't even go on a walk. I mean, I couldn't even walk around the block. Caretaking is so all-encompassing. It's so physically, emotionally, spiritually tolling. And you're also seeing different stages of decline. So week one in hospice, my mom put up a sign of all the things she wanted. She wanted milkshake. She wanted sparkling water. And she wanted uh, orange juice, fresh squeeze. And so you're just trying to make that happen for her. Like I said, my mom, very opinionated, liked what she liked. So she had a sign. And every time she was thirsty, she'd look up on the sign and say, this is what I want. So you're running around. Of course, family, friends are dropping off meals, but you're all supporting her. Two weeks later, she stops talking. And then the last week, she's basically like unconscious. But what's really important for people to know, and actually hospice shared this with us, but also we had a massage therapist coming to the house weekly to massage all of us, which was a saving grace. And I still go to her to this day. She's amazing. She had done a lot of hospice work. And she said, you need to remember the last thing that goes is someone's hearing. So until the person dies, they can hear. And so it's really important to not say things that might be upsetting during their process of letting go, but supportive things like, okay, mom, I just made, you know, your favorite chicken paprikash, which was a Hungarian dish you like making for everyone tonight for dinner. We're really enjoying it. We use your recipe. She could hear that. And so 
as we were all living in the house, my sister shared that she was having a girl. We did like a gender reveal around my mom, even though my mom was no longer conscious because she could be part of, you know, my sister's daughter, my niece coming to be. And so all of these things were part of our letting go process. We celebrated half birthdays. We tried to think of anything (laughs) that we could to be there around her bed and celebrate with her. And so it was duality again of Mm -hmm. having fun because we were all in the house together. My grandparents would come over. I was the one who had to tell them that she was terminal and she was dying, which was probably the hardest conversation of my life. But we also were able to pivot to enjoying each other's presence. And my family, my brother-in-law, my sister, and my now husband and I decided that in that moment, we were going to clear out her house as well, because there was no better time. She had lived there for 30 years, and she was a little bit of a hoarder. So there was a lot of work to do. And so it was this whole process of letting go. And when she finally died, uh, my now husband told me, he woke me up. And of course there was relief because every day you go to bed, every night you go to bed thinking this might happen. And when she's unconscious and you're just waiting and holding your breath, it is a lot of relief. And I'll just say the last thing, Lisa, it's a lot of relief also. And this is the really painful part where listeners might get tense again to know that the most challenging consuming relationship of my life is in a peaceful place now. Mm. I think the the part that needs to be said is it's at a peaceful place because of the resolution that you got it to be, which is, first of all, accepting who she was, yes. <laughs> you know, you, maybe her accepting who you are, you know, yes. showing up, having her see how autonomous you became, despite her wanting to protect and keep you safe. You know, there was there's a lot more to that sentence than I think is just I feel peaceful because, it you know, I don't have to deal with it every day. That's not the sentiment that I walked away with. It's yeah. I looked this relationship in the eye and created a new one without modulating who she is. I don't know if I'm saying this right. And I don't want to put words you in your mouth. You are. Okay. No, you are. I think the perfect anecdote is when she was in hospice, when she was still conscious, he said to her, I'm going to propose in a couple of months. And she said, really? I was worried Julia was too difficult. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love that. And, you know, two months later, we got engaged. And once again, (laughs) I wouldn't want her at my wedding dress shopping appointment. It just wouldn't have been a fun experience. I wouldn't necessarily want to plan a wedding with her and what she would probably be judgmental about, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. how much it cost or who was invited. And so there was peace in my grief. And of course, the day of the wedding, I, I woke up crying and I went to a massage and I thought, I'm so sad she's missing this. And Mm -hmm. my sister and I often look at each other and say, I cannot believe she's not watching her grandkids grow up. She would love this so much. So there's, there's duality. It's there's there's that duality. There's so much duality and something that's special. And I feel so connected to her about this is that she loved her house. She lived there for 30 years. She never wanted to leave it. She died there. And now I own it and I rent it out and the people who live there love it. And maybe someday I will raise a family there. And it's a really special connection to her. Thank you for opening up our eyes to the fact that I think most of us have those challenging relationships with our mothers. And yet it can be really hard when, you know, a lot of people that are leaving class to say, mom, I just left class. Mom, I just peed. What shirt should I wear? I'm going. Can you believe this person did this? Which I don't have that relationship with my mom. And it's certainly one that I've been 
jealous of with my friends, but that's not us. So thank you for talking about the complicated layers of being a daughter, period, but also what it's like to, it's a little hard thing to say, but to prematurely deal with what most of us will have to deal with at some point, you know, if life goes in the order that it should. You know, this it's not like we're all exempt from not losing our parents, but for you, it just happened at an early age. So thank you for giving us a window into that process and how it can be so complicated and painful, yet also peaceful. But to celebrate you for a moment and, and your next adventure, can you share a little bit about where what you're doing next? Because it's really cool. Absolutely. So because of my mom, I've always had a part of myself that wanted to live internationally. I eventually did end up studying abroad in college, but that wasn't enough. I've wanted to live before we have kids somewhere and we've decided on Singapore. So um, in about a month, my husband and I are moving to Singapore and are going to work there, live there, build a life there, and travel to the surrounding countries when we're allowed to travel, yes. and just have some some space. You know, we, I would say, got a little robbed in um, many of our experiences just because when someone dies, it's not just that they're dead, you're grieving, but you're also dealing with their estate, their, their stuff, you know, their wishes, and it took two years. I mean, it took a lot of time and energy for my family to get through that. And it's never simple and it's challenging. And so we feel like, okay, we finally got married. We had to postpone our wedding once from COVID, finally got married. We're just ready to go have an adventure, just us. And we're thrilled, so excited. I'm going to do therapy work there. I have a lot to learn and just feel so lucky. And my mom would just be on cloud nine about this. Mm, I just think that wraps up the story really nice. And I'm really excited to follow your adventure to Singapore personally. If you decide to make any social media accounts that um, we could watch you, you let me know. But for now, we'll keep will. we'll keep you anonymous. So um, thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you for being a guest, a friend, a therapist. Thank you for being you, Julia, and living your truthiest life. I know that, like you said, you said some things here that were probably hard to say, but hopefully leave our listeners um, with a feeling less shameful for having these totally normal emotions. Absolutely, Lisa. You're the perfect person who I knew would understand and be able to hold space. I would not have done this conversation with anyone else. So thank you so much. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now.